What's going on, everybody? You've got the cardboard coaches here with your boy, Coach Goat. I'm the cartel. You sure are, sir. And honestly, lately you have been moving cards like a cartel with drugs. I, I think that's the basis of the of the name yeah i think so yeah yeah i i i just want to give you a little bit of a highlight there uh just kind of shouting you out for i mean making moves man i guess that's what this is all about bro well i would say i'm i'm making moves i don't know if i'm uh uh shipping out as uh, as much as i usually do quite frankly but um yeah certainly making some moves you're seeing the cartel in some uh new spaces do you think that is perhaps due to I mean, we have no idea where cards are going to go. You know what I mean? Like I find myself holding on to things probably longer than I thought about holding on to them because I mean, the market is just so reactive right now. I mean, that's the eternal struggle in this market, right? Is uh, waiting for that right time in terms of when you're moving things. And uh, I think there is a creeping sensibility that is driving a line from one side to the other in terms of trying to avoid the volatility of the market and think more long-term or take advantage while you still can for however much longer some people believe that the market is as hot as it is right now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways to put it into perspective. Have you, you're seeing people posting these pictures of uh, retail shelves back in 2019. And it really puts it into perspective. It's not to say cards weren't popular in 2019. I know they were. I was at the shows. I, I was involved in the discussions. I, I was at the stores. I, I was seeing the community, you know, maybe not grow as, as voraciously as it has lately. But, you know, it was, a, it was a thriving community. But for some reason, we weren't in a huge rush to pick up all that retail. We weren't buying out the stores. Um, and we obviously weren't seeing the price jumps that we were, and a lot has changed. And I think uh, after a couple of years of that, we're sitting here thinking, you know, what, what, are, what are the next steps? And that is something we'll be touching on, particularly when it comes to the baseball market, a little bit later on the show with our guest. Yes, we will. But uh, I mean, even speaking of the market and, and supply and demand, I mean, I guess it's a pretty soft segue into PSA. For those of you who don't know, PSA is no longer accept, accepting submissions that aren't super express or walkthrough. And as just uh, as a point of reference, they had several categories before. They had the value sub. They had the express sub. They had the regular sub, uh, all of which were significantly reduced. I mean, value was between $12 and $15. We had express, which is probably the most recent because uh, it was still available. Um, and that one was up to 150. Um, so now the cheapest you can grade a card for is 300 US dollars. And I guess we should go back and forth right now and say, like, how do we think this is going to impact the market? Because I think we can, we can definitely, I think I've got my opinions and you've got yours and you've been in here for a lot longer. And as someone who's new to the hobby, I'll tell you exactly what my knee jerk reaction was to do. So yeah, let's, let's hear from you, man. Like, what do you think is going to happen as a result of this? And you feel free to just rant. 
I feel like, well, I don't know if I'm going to rant necessarily about this. I think uh, something was bound to happen. Something's got to give, as they say. It's probably an interesting journey for you having shown up. And what have you seen? Nothing but price increases, delays. You haven't received anything back. No. Uh, you have just received something back from HGA. I'm sure you'll show us that. Yeah, later on. Momentarily. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that must be an interesting perspective that you're coming in at. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's that I just touched on with those retail shelves, you know, back in 2019. Um, grading was an essential part of a lot of people's collecting and businesses. And this is what I forgot to mention, actually, a couple shows ago. Um, when it comes to uh, you asked, you'd, you'd asked me about, you know, some of the some of the, the things that happened in that we were doing that one year anniversary of the lockdown market. Something that I neglected to add that I wanted to was you've never seen as many people convert over a period of time into not just collecting. Uh, suddenly they became either investors or literally some people started businesses and they are making a living. And, and if for a lot of people in our age group, that's an exciting thing because it's a passion. And if you're able to turn your passion into your job, I'm sure you would agree, Brendan, that is the most ideal thing that could possibly happen to a human being. Oh, yeah. So we're seeing that more than ever. And a lot of people relied on grading as part of the process. And the whole concept was you're paying for a service that is designated for a certain time. And as long as that's working out like promised, you can have a nice little uh, kind of cycle going where you're receiving slabs selling what you need to, uh, to either catch up on pricing or make a profit and then just keep that going nicely. And I think that was the concept when you and I first started submitting and you jumped in on that. And that of course now is gone. Yeah. Um, something I had to give, we first, first we saw the price increases. Um, I think that this is a necessary, not, not necessary evil, but it's a necessary, uh, it's a necessary break that is going to give PSA the opportunity to catch up. Um, I think that we all may have made a mistake by not slowing down ourselves when their prices went up, um, because now you see that having an impact on these other grading companies yeah. like SBC, who smelled the blood in the water, and now they're chowing down $75 per submission uh, per card. Um, that's a little problematic. I think that the other side of this might be problematic, but the, 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 the slowdown um, the taking a, taking a moment to let them catch up, um, I think is, is going to actually be a, a good thing for everyone at the end of the day, obviously it benefits PSA, but once that's all done, the unfortunate thing is we are now so accepting as a hobby of these higher prices, just the same way we're going to be accepting of all these other higher prices that we're seeing. You and I have a lot of cards over at PSA. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, we, we can't complain too much. Yeah. Uh, I think the complaining you're going to hear is people who are getting involved in new product like Prism, which again, that's not really our thing. Um, but, but I get it. You know, an, an exciting new product comes out. You want to get those cards great. You want to get them graded quickly. Now, if you truly believe in LaMelo or you really think that you're going to get uh, the payoff or if you're pulling a card out of 10, use that Super Express service. I mean, you'd be silly not to. Um, but then the conversation becomes, and I'll throw to you here, do we start to look into other grading companies? What's the move? Because I got to tell you, Brendan, my move right now for now is to just stay put. But how do you think uh, 
some of these elements like the other companies come into play? So I will definitely address that question. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I feel about the, the whole standstill and it'll transition into my response. So first of all, I think Nat Turner has a bag of balls. I think that anyone who takes over a company and despite it making money, like printing money, he could willingly just continue to accept slabs or continue to accept cards and ex- continue to account for money. Because I mean, essentially, once you put your credit card in, you're on the hook for that amount of money. And like, essentially, they all, they have that money. Um, and he could continue to do this conceivably, conceivably forever. Um, especially when you join a new company, you know, the, one of the things you want to do first and foremost is essentially make money. I mean, it costs a considerable amount of money to buy PSA. And the one of the first things he does is shut down any submissions that aren't quick turnaround times. And so with respect to that, I think that uh, he's garnered a lot of my respect. I think he's showing that it's not just about money, um, at least with respect to this problem. And, uh, you know, continuing to do this, you're going to lose the reason why everyone goes to PSA in the first place. And that is the name you go to PSA for the name, you go buy Nike clothing because of the name, you know, you know what to expect and you're putting your faith in the brand. And the last thing he wants is for this brand to be associated with, you know, year long turnaround times. Right now, what the long-term solution for this is, I don't know, you know, once they catch up, does it, does it all, all of a sudden be like, uh, normal turnaround times, three, four, five months for, uh, you know, value sub um, are, you know, the regular option is that now like a month and a half, two months. I don't know. But what I do know um, is that I think he'd be stupid to either bring value subs back as, as terrible as it sounds for me, because you and I have used and abused the value sub Um and because it's a great way to send in some cards that, you know, have a really good chance of 10 xing if you do your homework properly. You know, if you, you buy a card, you buy it raw for, let's say, $15, you know, if that thing gets a PSA 10, it could be easily $100, uh, $150. Depending um, on how it was acquired. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, I said, as long as you do your homework. Um, and that, that's with respect to, you know, wa- looking at the condition of the card. Um you know, even in terms of the pricing of the card, I think he would be, and they would be knowing that people are, were jumping up and down to sub at $75 a card, $150 a card. It just doesn't make sense. Again, even from a production standpoint, because if it goes back to value submissions, you know, even at $25 a card, the minute they open up they have people waiting with stacks of cards to send in there. Right. So I personally think that there is going to be a permanent uh, price increase. Like you just mentioned, I don't know what that permanent price increase is going to be. Are they going to eliminate categories altogether? I don't know. Um, But with respect to how I feel about this, I think, you know, given the fact that we've got so many, so many cards coming in, you know, I would say in the next year or so, um, 
it's very promising for, for those who already own slabs. Um, I think that we need to find a way to continue to have new people enter the hobby grading cards because it's in that grading cards and that like bump in value, the, the pulling a great card and then subbing a great card that you get hooked. And that's, and we talked about it with Rob last, last podcast about like keeping the youth in the hobby, keeping the new people in the hobby. You got to find a way to keep the new people in the hobby and a new person who goes to target happens to get a box. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the lineups for the targets yeah. right now, but they're ridiculous but happens to get cards for whatever reason, maybe joins a break. Um, and you'll talk a little bit about the break that you joined yesterday. Um, but maybe they join a break and they happen to get uh, a James Wiseman, you know, out of 50. Uh, maybe this is a $500 card and this person is super excited. They spent maybe $90 on this break spot, but if it costs $300 to grade and this person was already stretching themselves thin, you know, like, having one card in your collection, I don't know if it's going to do it for a lot of people. You know, I think one of the reasons why you and I love this hobby is because we've just got such a crazy array of cards. And because of that, we follow so many players and it's like, it's like real life fantasy, you know, it's real. It's literally like, if you have the option fantasy, it's like if you have, if you have the option to draft any player you want in, in any fantasy league, there is, that's what you get to do. Now yeah. you can't really do that if, if the prices for things are crazy high. Now the question is back to you, how does this, you know, let's say that grading is no longer affordable. How does this affect the car, the price of raw cards? You're, you're, you're getting to the root of it and you made a great point that there's so many roadblocks and obstacles for kids, for people new to the hobby. But, and by the way, we're not all dealing, uh, People read these articles about million dollar sales. We're, 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 there was one today, right? A, a, fo- a football two, card, Tom Brady card record. $2.25 million. Not a lot of people are operating in that realm. No. Um, the, the, the hobby itself, we, it really is at, at a crossroads here. And it involves so many elements of the conversation about what happens when things open up a little bit more. The, the way it sits right now, Card shops are not accessible, at least not where we are. Um, The retail is gone. Uh, You can't even grade a card at this point. This is a bit of a breathing point, but it is kind of crucial in terms of what's going to happen after this, because you're you're, you're right. It's almost kind of like a roadblock for a lot of people. Um, But you you always remember that there's ways to make do and and to enjoy this hobby in one way or the other now now i'm talking again specifically about a group of people that are hobbyists which god knows what the percentages are now in terms of hobbyists investors businesses um i took a step back from the hobby last night and had a great time in a room full of people a lot of great people by the way in the hobby um and it was a what was called a mayhem break run by the card artist card killer in association with Donnie B Collectibles, and I like to say Donnie B Productions. Uh, these are people that really push the, the art form of card, uh, I would say card manipulation, not manipulation, that's a terrible word these days. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, yeah, there's a negative connotation there, bro. Card crafting um, and, and card creation. Well, they, they'll take an existing card and they will make it something incredibly special. 
And uh, what, what Card Killer did was he drilled a hole with a power drill into every pack of a box of prison baseball. Okay. And everyone involved in the, in the break gets one of these cards that has essentially been damaged, quote unquote, by at the hands of an artist who will then gold leaf his name on it. This is someone who has had thousand dollar card sales. He recently sold a beautiful Bill Russell uh, uh, card that had been embellished by Card Killer. These are beautiful works of art. He also creates clothing and hats. They're just stunning. You go to his page. Yeah. Um, he'll put things into cards. He, he, he famously sold a card uh, that had a, a, a drug in it without giving you more information. Check it out yourself. It's really fantastic. There was another card. You remember those pens back in the 80s where you turned them upside down and a girl's clothes would come off or something, something would happen. You don't, I do. He put those into the card. It was a Jose. Oh man. I mean, it's, it's just really brilliant, beautiful stuff. And there's a lot of people doing this sort of thing. I feel like Donnie being card killer lead the way they really were the, the godfathers of this movement. And um, it was tons of fun, man. And you never knew what the card was. That's going to come out. Um, there was an autograph. There was a really nice autograph that was pulled. Who and was the it? top three uh, people involved in the draft, get that card with a full on card killer uh, art piece done on it. So that was nice to step away and be in the hobby world. There are still people that run this as a business. And the reason why I want to touch on that is because, like I said, not everyone is fortunate enough to be one of these new people to the hobby that are celebrities or have a lot of money and they're looking to invest. There are also a lot of old school collectors that are legitimately collectors and I respect them and I follow them and I listen to them. But some of the takes I'm hearing lately on the fact that people are rightfully complaining about turnaround times with grading, um, shipment times for COM-C. I don't have a lot of uh, experience with COM-C, only in the realm of the Upper Deck EPACs, but my understanding is a lot of people use COM-C. It's a very popular platform, and a lot of people are experiencing severe shipping delays of their cards that they own. Um, there are complaints all over across the board. And I'm, I'm not quick to shout people down because I get it. I get that it's frustrating. And if you're running a business, I would imagine that it's incredibly frustrating and it affects your bottom line. So anyone that's out there criticizing people, and I've seen some huge criticisms of, of people that are complaining. Um, yeah, I, 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 I feel that personally for those people that are involved, not that, that are involved in different, we have to remember there's so many different people in, yep. in the hobby. So yes, maybe slow turnaround times for all these things does affect someone differently than somebody who's just, if you're a common hobbyist and you're whining and complaining that your cards are going to take a long time to get to you, okay, that's fine. I, I get that. That's, that's maybe something where I could tell you to maybe just put it in perspective and relax. But there are people running businesses. Um, I think we should consider and respect that. doesn't mean that they should be complaining all the time, but we, we can find things in this hobby that will make us happy and give us pleasure and maybe take a step back away from, from all of that. And even as someone who does, uh, you know, endeavor to run cards as a business, um, I, I prepared myself. You know, I, I, I specifically prepared myself for any roadblock. Yeah. I have the inventory. I have the variety of inventory. We have cards out that we're waiting for. Yeah. Um, I kind of try to, you know, economy proof myself in that way. And I, and I hope a lot of other people have as well, but I think people uh, that are new to it and running businesses are maybe getting uh, a bit of a shock here. They're going to have to make some adjustments like all these companies are doing and, um, and roll with it somehow, yeah. you know? 
Yeah, I agree. Um, how do you feel the value of, of raw cards is going to be moving forward? That's the big conversation uh, that I've, I, and I've been checking out other podcasts on yeah. YouTube. People are, what happens to do slabs go up? I have to tell you not in the, in the last few days, I'm, I'm not seeing that necessarily. Um, more raw cards will be available for sure. Um, but there's, like I said, there's a crossroads going on here where I think there is a bit of a softening and downturn overall in the hobby. And there's some question of what happens next. I think that's impacting everything. So even yeah. if, you know, if things have been running like they were this time last year and we were in the situation with PSA, maybe, yes, maybe slab pricing would go up. Maybe, uh, maybe raw pricing would go up, but, but right now there's just so many things happening at the same time. Um, I personally have not seen anything other than just like there, there's a lot of volume of stuff available. Um, have you seen any indications of, of these discussions? Cause there's so many of them. It's not that I don't want to get into it. Yeah. yeah no, I don't know what ground we can cover, but have you noticed anything specifically? So I have noticed that I think, so I've definitely been, and, and this is off like my, my own eBay page. Um, I think there's a lot more people sending offers to me in the last week or so for okay. my raw cards. I think um, Interesting. That, that people, I don't know if they want to buy and hoard. I don't know if they think that people, you know, now that grading is not accessible, that they're not going to wait. Like, I, I don't know what the, the, the brain power behind it is. But I've definitely, I, I would say in the last like four or five days, and I only have like 15 listings right now, but I've probably received nine or 10 offers in comparison to a week ago, I probably had two or three. So almost triple. Um, now it could be because of the, you know, the guys that I've posted are performing better or, you know, whatever the yes. case may be. So I, I mean, there's so many variables mm-hmm. and I guess unless I mean, time, time will tell, plain and simple, right? Like uh, time will truly tell what kind of effect this has. I mean, um, if, if the idea is that people believe that more, um, you know, gradable raw cards will be available because people don't want to wait. Um, I mean, I'm certainly, I mean, for someone who's been in the hobby for a while, that wouldn't be my play. I wouldn't say to myself, okay, I'm holding on to a card that I, looks really good to me. <laughs> I'm not going to sell to someone else just because I have to wait three months. But yeah. again, I've prepared. I've prepared that but that's, way. That's what I mean, right? Like how many people are in the same boat where they have like stacks of raw, stacks of slabs coming in and like slacks, stacks of slabs with them where they're like, okay, let's go to war, right? Because right. like, I mean, in four months- like, or if they're wearing slacks while they're waiting for the slabs and the stacks? Yeah, that's, basically. Um, that's, yeah, that's there, are be, there are going to be people in situations where they need to be building up- um, in, uh, 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 finances and, and be bringing the money in. So, and they can't wait in that sense. Um, you know, again, like for, for me, for, for you and I, I mean, we, we've got our express order coming in pretty soon. So it's going to start flowing in and we're going to need to pay for that, Brendan. So, uh, you know, but again, I, I'm like, I, I will, is that going to make me, I mean, I, I actually am going to offer more raw than I usually do. And some people will buy them and eventually grade them out to be gem or mint. Yeah. guaranteed yeah for sure but again these aren't going to be near and dear to my heart or cards that in my mind uh are going to be uh costing me a massive amount if i don't grade it 
right? Yeah. Uh, and God knows where those players will be in three months. There's so many variables. That's the exciting thing. That's what I mean. Parts of the hobby. Yeah. Right. You can, I can move something right now that's raw and gradable and say to myself, well, I don't want to wait three months. And it's a good player. He's not doing anything crazy right now. I sell it out three months later. The, the player's got 20 home runs and that becomes a huge card if graded. And then the guy emails me and says, Hey, thanks for the deal, man. I just got a BGS nine five, which happens. This happens a lot. Um, yeah, that, that, that could be the case potentially and probably will be for a lot of people. Yeah, man. I, I honestly, as long as number one, you are making money off of like, I mean, like if this is your goal, if your goal is to make money, as long as you sell it for more than you bought it for, I think you need to just be happy with that. Um, and, again, and, and, and we're talking to those people. We're talking to all those yeah, people. Yeah. Cardboard coaches wants to coach you, whether you're a hobbyist, an investor, or running a business. There's so many people doing that now, which is totally legit. I'm so happy for people. I'm happy yeah. for myself. We should be pursuing this passion. I bet a lot of us sat on our ass for the last two, three decades and thought that this wouldn't be feasible. And now it is. Go for it. So I want to respect those people in, 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 the, in, the, in the age of all the pricing going up, in the age of all of these delays that are affecting people's bottom lines. I want to respect that, you know, more, more than anything. Yeah. And, uh, and we're talking to you. We're talking to everyone in this hobby. Um, and that's why we want to touch on a variety of topics and let people know about what's going on um, and how to navigate it all. That's exactly it. How do we navigate? I mean, speaking of navigate, how do we navigate the baseball season right now, dude? I mean, I know we're only three days in, but right. your boy Austin Meadows looking all right. Love that guy, man. And, and I was almost afraid to talk about that guy too much because of there were so many instances last year where players just didn't perform up to snuff. And I did. I always reminded myself, this is a weird season. They're in a bubble. There's no there's no crowds. Um, God knows how they're feeling about themselves, their families. So it's, it's a very, it's a very scary thing, but I I've secretly been stat, not secretly, but I've been, I've been stacking Austin Meadows because I like him. I've become a big fan of the Rays. Remember I only returned to baseball a couple of years ago. You and I are traditionally hockey fans. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting. And uh, yeah, the season has started. It's, it's exciting. We're seeing some, uh, some, some fast starts from some players. Have you been watching his cards lately? Uh, you know what? I, I almost purposefully haven't. Because, yeah, because I don't want to get too pulled in if there is this um, hyper-reactivity. Would you say there's hyper-reactivity going on with Gary that's, Sanchez, Meadows? That's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Um, I bet we're going to find out a bit I later. Know. I think Gary Sanchez is interesting, man. I think uh, that, like, he had – he was arguably one of the top prospects, catchers-wise, for years. He right. plays in New York, which is massive. Um, the problem is he's not a very good catcher and I don't know who's going to eat me alive for that one. Like he's not a very good catcher. And also he just typically doesn't really hit for average, but the thing is home runs sell tickets and home runs sell cards. And do. I mean, no one really cares, cares about a guy who's going to hit a bloop single, but like hit 350. They care way more about majority of them care, care where, care way more about the guy who hits 30 bumps and uh if gary sanchez can do that this year i mean his his cards are going to absolutely explode especially playing in new york man that's right that's right um 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if, if, if we see the market really explode, like you and I were hoping for when we were discussing baseball, uh, and I believe the last episode before we spoke to Rob G, we, we spoke a little bit about baseball. Um, but yeah, there's been a long time waiting. I had plenty of time to make my plays, as I'm sure you did. Yep. And there's got to be a little patience involved, man. Baseball is a long season. A lot of at-bats, even for the pitchers, a lot of starts. Um, we are seeing a lot of offense, though. We are seeing a lot of home runs. and, and, and Which uh, is interesting because they, they, they took away the juiced balls, apparently. Juiced the balls is what they say, yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, you don't really have, like, one of the most prime home run hitters in, like, Luke Voigt, like, playing right now, you know, like. Man, I mean, it was obviously, this for about twelve hundred home runs last year. That's one right. player, but still, man, like those those are the guys. Like Stanton hasn't hit a bomb. Judge hasn't hit a bomb. Like, yep. there are uh, there's a lot of home runs to go around right now. Yep, absolutely. We need and we and you need and you know baseball needs those players to uh, perform. Uh, Judge Trout. I don't think uh, any of those usual suspects are making too much noise at the moment. But I, uh, I got Trout in my fantasy team, bro. Nice. That's is that I that's felt like pretty the, good. I felt is that really, kind of like getting Connor McDavid in a hockey fantasy league? Is that is that kind of what it is? Not really, and I'll tell you why. Nope. He actually slipped to seventh. Wow. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, I found it pretty. So this is for those of you who don't know. This is the first time I've ever done a fantasy baseball league. Um, I've you know been open to it. I, as you know, Cartel and I follow baseball. I watch baseball so much. But uh, it's a completely different beast, especially when you're playing like head to head um, and 26 players on your team and every category means something. So I guess in terms of like all around, he's the seventh best player. But like, I don't know, man, you still how can you possibly like Acuna, Tatis, Soto? um, I think Mookie went above him as well. Interesting. It was interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah, dude. Team, we are pleased to introduce Rocky Mountain Baseball Cards to the podcast. Now, please correct me if I got your Instagram name wrong. No, that is correct. Rocky Mountain Baseball Cards, finally. I love it. We got it. You're hitting 100, dude. (laughs) So how you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, fellas. It's a pleasure to sit down and chat with you dudes. Of course. Um, honestly, I was introduced to you by the cartel and mm. uh, one of the best follows to date because I, I just feel like every time I go on your page, I learn something new about the hobby, about the markets. And I remember specifically one really interesting question you asked me was I voted on uh, it was uh, Bowman's Best and uh, you're like, you know, I'm just out of curiosity. Why did you vote no for Bowman's Best? And I was like, well, you know, it's just something about like the art on the card, you know, wasn't doing it for me. Like it kind of looked childish <laughs> in my opinion. And, um, and then I started to see the prices just increase from that moment that you posted that and asked me that question. And, you know, all of a sudden your, your view on certain cards kind of changes, you know, like as the price starts to rise, you're like, you know, I can, I might be able to get behind this card. And uh, so I want to thank you at least right off the bat for uh, just opening up my mind to, you know, just looking at cards differently um, and just being open-minded when it comes to certain cards. 
Yeah, for sure, dude. It's uh, it's just something I definitely am passionate about is trying to figure out, you know, what's going to become the next card or the next trend before it becomes a trend. Yeah. Um, and, and the same to you guys. You know, I always love the stuff you guys are putting out, you and Cartel, about, you know, certain cards, uh, players, etc. We tend to agree most of the time on on certain uh, things and other times disagree. And that's what's so fun about, you know, sports cards and the hobby and uh, collecting and investing and all that shit. So yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. So Brian, uh, it's great to see you, man. Uh, if you if you gentlemen allow me just a moment here in terms of introducing the overall concept, in my opinion, of what Brian does here. Brian is not an influencer, in my no. opinion. Brian is an analyst and he is a brilliant analyst. And that is, in my opinion, the absolute most valuable and immediately impacting type of Instagram account. And I was obviously attracted to Brian because of the fact that he was not following trends. Trends have come from Brian's posts. And I think Brian's uh, you know, growing and modest following sees that. And uh, I'm not just pumping your tires here, but the reality is when you're, when you're hearing from influencers, there's something that's kind of already been popping off that is being seized upon. And yeah. Brian is looking outside the boundaries and trying to find something new. So when I first found Brian, the discussion was um, more about which cards are you looking for in a market that is already kind of caught on to, uh, you know, when it comes to players like Tatis, Soto, yep. Acuna, we've already caught on to certain things, but what exists outside of that? And not only was Brian able to identify what existed outside of the boundaries of what we were used to, the, the you know, the tops update rookie cards, he identified them and there was an immediate impact. So as, as, as a follower of Brian's, there's, there's no better, there's no better thing than getting, a result as uh, uh, after you you've taken in the advice. So Brian, um, you, you you recently posted uh, I think today mm-hmm. your your top ten picks not not the top ten players not the top no. ten cards but the top ten cards that are are, are kind of based on movement right. Yeah. So I, I was hoping you could kind of touch on that as an opener uh, since since you put that up today. Yeah, no, and I just want to pre- uh, say thank you guys for the the praise and appreciation. It means a lot to hear that, you know, this time and energy that you spend on something you're passionate about, other people appreciate that and it helps them. And, you know, a big part of what I love about social media and the hobby is where you can have dialogue and conversation with people like you guys. To I mean, it just makes us all better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's whether I think something is right, wrong, you know, it's always nice to hear a counter argument or yeah. a, a different idea because it makes you sharper, you know? Absolutely. And, and that definitely was just my biggest push is because there's so much crap out there, you know, and there's so many things that people can get hung up in. And if you take the time to, I like what you said, I've never thought of it that way, but if you, as an, an analyst or analyzing all this stuff, you can become very informed on what you're doing yeah. Um, and you have a lot of fun with it. And you can also make some solid returns on your, your investment. So with that said, um, so my top, yeah, the list I put out, it's not like you said, it's not the 10 best players by any, you know, that's not at all what I'm talking about. It was more like where their prices are currently with the room they can go to with what they've already done 
either in a large sample size or a small sample size. Right. And the guys, so I, I kind of broke it up into three categories. I had a, you know, a group of players that are like considered rebound players. So this group consisted, I think, of like number nine was uh, Jordan Alvarez. Eight was Glaber Torres. Um, who else? I, I don't know. I got to go look. But these were guys that had done well. I know, Sho- I know Shohei was on there as well. Yeah, I think yeah, Shohei is listed as a breakout potential. Yeah. And the reason why I'm, I I'm sure he could fit in as well as a, mm-hmm. as a rebound as well. Yeah. And, and the reason why I have him as a breakout is because I don't think we've seen his full um, scope of what he can bring to a, a, a season. I think with Jordan Alvarez, you know, we've seen the, I don't know if there's a ton of room to go up from what he did his uh, AL rookie of the year campaign. And tw- I mean, that was, if he can mm-hmm. hit it, have an OPS over a thousand. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like Pujols country. So yeah. there's not much room to go. Same Torres, you know, 2019, when he hit, you know, 38 homers from a shortstop with the 280, I don't know if they're, you know, that also might be his ceiling, but if that's his ceiling and he can sustain that in the Yankees market, hitting in the middle of that order, playing yeah. shortstop, yeah, $100 to me seems like a – right. Uh, a, a very low buy-in point, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, especially, especially if you like, get as you as as players start to get hot, like you, mm-hmm. you'll easily see. Like for instance, now, like Austin Meadows is off to a hot start. He's got two home runs in two games. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see like an Austin Meadows PSA ten refractor go for a hundred bucks. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. And, and especially when you look at them compared to like, you know, some of the cream of the crop guys, like the where I have maintain or dudes that are kind of leading the way that was the Juan Soto uh Tatis who else did I have there probably Mookie Betts those types of guys you know they I don't know if there's much room in their card I mean there is but they're they're pretty significantly higher than the rest I think Tatis has more room than the others to be honest and I think the reason why he has more room at least with respect to the guys that you said like maintain Mm-hmm. is because he's got that like the base stealing potential and we haven't seen a full healthy season from him yet right like no. we've seen like 100 i think it was 110 games is his max um so yeah. I, I mean imagine seeing 150 out of tatis mm-hmm. like what kind of numbers is this guy going to produce right like um whereas guys like Juan Soto like it's pretty hard to top up hitting like 330 and winning a, a championship as the underdog in your rookie season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I, I agree. I think Tatis has some more room. It's just hard because they, the reason why I love these guys is because of where, where they're at in relationship to other sports. Yeah. And that, that's another big part is because it's funny. Baseball people look at Tatis and they, they think he is overvalued, um, overhyped, you know, that he's not going to maintain his sale prices, but I don't think they're looking at that in comparison to basketball, uh, football, and even soccer. Yeah. And again, I don't know much about uh, hockey and soccer, but I do know that there are some insane sales going on. Uh, like that dude from Sweden, the blonde-haired, beautiful guy. Yeah, blonde-haired, beautiful <laughs> Erling Holland. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I just, I just, because you see, you know, he, the dude is making. I mean, eight thousand for his sapphire card. I think yeah. was a recent sale. Yeah, 
his out of That's 50 almost- went his out of 50 went for 50 and the guy's 20 years old you know what i mean like it's in comparison it's a t sapphires like half half the price yeah right of that you know of that card so that just to me shows if tatis can put it together for 155 160 games um why couldn't his prices hit seven you know i'm talking about his base chrome rookie card why couldn't that hit you know seven eight hundred bucks yeah is that the expectation brian i mean obviously it's not the full-on expectation but here mm-hmm. we are we're, we're finally getting a full season yeah um, the stage is set in terms of the quote-unquote superstars of the league and the you know the the weight on their shoulders to to carry both the the, the league's success yep. and baseball success in general if there is going to be some potential adjustment because this is something we've, we've discussed a lot the fact yeah. that you know the basketball market has has been leading the way and it's not even close in a lot of respects no. Does baseball have that opportunity to, to come up significantly and really explode and have the leaders in terms of stats bring the same pricing as Doncic and Trey Young and, and Zion? And that's such a great question. And I, I'm not going to lie. My brother, uh, he's also on it. He, he does a lot of breaking, but he is, you know, New England baseball cards. We're twins. We talk all the time. Um, you know, it's definitely something we think about a lot because, like you said, basketball has kind of gone into a, like a freeze almost. Yeah. Right. Aside from a few players that have, uh, you know, I guess when I think of it, it was like Embiid and Jokic and a few other dudes, their cards have taken off. Yeah. But aside from a few of those guys, we've seen pretty much a decline or like a flat plateau for pretty much the entire basketball season. That's because the, the rocket ride was so fast. Yeah, right? so fast and furious. And to yeah. me, that occurred right before the bubble last year and through the playoffs leading up to this season. And I don't, you know, I don't have like a number to put on it or factual information. I just feel like basket or baseball is a year behind. Right. You know, I, I it's just a feeling, you know, it, looking at everything and how, cause I've been, you know, doing this for almost two, two and a half years now. I just feel like baseball is still within a time frame where we're going to see performance increase prices. Right. And I think it's going to be really quick. Uh, I think there's a huge opening day buzz. Baseball is such a long season. You know, it's a hundred, it goes from now until October. Yeah. Right. You know, m- my thought process with baseball is it's going to be hot between now and July. I think yeah. we're going to see a lot of the growth and de- declines in players' prices between now and July. And then as we get close to football season, I think we're going to see a lot of money get pulled out of baseball and start going. So I'm not sure what that, um, you know, what the market looks like after July, but I really think between now and then we're going to see a lot of performance-based um, jumps or declines based upon the way dudes are playing. So I think it's really important that the guys come out early, quick. You know, to me, there's nothing worse than start. And it's very common in baseball. Yeah. That's one of the slowest starters historically in, in all of baseball, you know, April's are, are not very good for him, you know, but by October he's trout, you know? So I just feel like it's going to be fast early and it could cool in July, but I think for the next couple of months, we're going to see a lot of, uh, performance-based gains based upon the way guys and I think teams do matter you know I think that's a huge uh, team success is really crucial to the players card prices 
more so now than ever. Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's a positive sign. But what I noticed, and again, um, so just again, to put it into context for the cartel side of things. Obviously, yeah. Brendan and I, we have our favorite sports. You know mm-hmm. that we're Canadians. We're eating a lot of Tim Hortons, coffee and donuts and watching hockey. Well, actually, Tim Hortons coffee is terrible, but anyway, you get the point. But I got into baseball right around, I would say it was, the funny thing is, not only was it mid to late 2019, mm-hmm. but I had access to 2018 top series one, two, and update because there were plenty, there was plenty left and around uh, yeah. in the local hobby stores. I have a cache of 2018 tops update sealed product and that was my entry at the right time now what else was going on brian gary v was pumping ronald acuna jr tops yep. update rookie cards yep to the, to the moon uh yep. i definitely took advantage of that when i started slabbing the cards what i saw what i see is that you know last year there were a lot of players did not perform the way people expected just off the top of my head uh, bellinger alonzo and these are guys i was getting into based on having hopped on at the end of 2019 and right. seen really impressive stuff from these players. Yeah. 100%. Um, Yelich like, as well. Yelich yeah. would fall into that category. Oh, Yelich is a big one. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. even, even, even guys like Corey Seager, who later on people would pick up mm-hmm. on, right? But, but Francisco but, Lindor. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I, I mean, think, even last year, Jose Abreu, like people were just, they just jumped on him. You know I think people I mean? are maybe even still sleeping on Jose Abreu, but yeah. But, you know, what I saw was a positive, encouraging sign is people did not dump all this stuff and, and then just dismiss these players. Um, you, you know, even in the case of Jordan, it was kind of like the thinking was more what truly is the potential here? Maybe 2020 didn't work out, but there's yeah. still a possibility here. Now, don't that don't get me wrong. I at one point on an auction, I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I put up a, an Otani at the end of the season. I sold an Otani PSA 10 update for 25 bucks. But as we saw, as the off season went on mm-hmm. and again, spring training started up and people got more excited. There were people putting money into Otani, into Alonzo, into these guys that did have that previous success. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very, I thought that was very uh, encouraging. Well, I, I actually, yeah. I, I want to throw two questions at you, Brian, to, to stop myself from yakking so much. Yeah, the first yeah. one being, what was your off season? Uh, now I, I kind of know what it was, but what was your what were your main off season plays and strategies? And number two, how do you feel about the vintage market? Uh, as you may know, we spoke to Rob G last episode. The big mm-hmm. mantle purchase was so key to me. I thought because it is baseball cards, and we seem to have been forgetting that in the midst of all the big sales. So tell us a little bit about the off season strategy, and talk to us about the vintage market because you have messed around with that a little bit. I've yeah. seen. You. I saw you ahead of the, the curve when it came to a lot of the 90s rookie cards that heated up during the offseason. So let's talk mm-hmm. about those two, uh, those two elements right there. Yeah, so for me, my offseason strat, I'm like you, dude. I, uh, I had the pleasure of ripping as much 2019 Chrome as I could get my hands on at retail prices. Nice. Uh, and and it, you have to realize this was when the buzz was paper, you know, and in my gut, I'm saying I'm going to I don't even care about paper. I'm going straight to like, like you said, Brendan, the shiny shit. That's, that's how I felt from that. And like cartel (laughs) actually had to explain to me that like, no, no paper, paper is like, is King right now. You know what I mean? Like paper. I I was telling, I was telling, no, I'm like, I don't want paper. Well, in in specifically tops update, which at that point in time was uh, you, you saw cards just getting a bump from being in Mm -hmm. tops update from 17, 18, 19. Right. So, yep. No, and I mean, it, it, it and th- th- these were conversations I was having with people in 20, you know, this time last year, I was telling everybody Chrome, 
buy Chrome. I mean, guys, you got to realize there was a time when a Tatis PSA 10 cost $60 yes. and a refractor PSA 10 cost a hundred. I'm talking, I mean that, you know, we're talking about $40 more 0. 0.5 yeah. for a refractor. And that was selling for just as much as a paper based rookie card, the refractor. And I was like sitting here going, why in the hell are all these people buying base paper <laughs> cards when they could be buying refractors for the same price? Um, which my Brian, off-season play was... Brian, why was it? Was it Gary V? Was it a number of factors? It was, was a factor. It's because... Was there any legitimacy to it? So here's the reasons why. This is why I think. So first and most importantly, baseball people need to realize the importance of Mike Trout and what he's done for the baseball market because he is the comp. Right. Like when you go to card and you want to figure out how much it could be worth, the first person you look to see is Mike Trout, whether it's Bowman, uh, you know, the US 250 or 175 Trout update rookie card was like king. Yeah. And that's iconic. Yeah. And it's iconic iconic and it's paper. But imagine if he had that same card in a Chrome rookie card. Right. That's that, you know, that's what people don't realize. And it's because uh, Trout didn't have a Chrome rookie card so there was no comp yeah you know what i mean so it left the marketplace with this huge void of a, of a player that they could refer back to uh and also baseball people love the mickey mantle which is a paper iconic uh baseball card yeah straight and up yeah and then 80s card same thing with the the upper deck griffey you know so so paper has its place but you know they weren't looking at it as a whole market. They were looking yeah. at it purely from a baseball historical standpoint. And, you know, it was easy to see that Chrome was, if you looked at basketball and football, you know, Chrome was everything. Even in it, even into the 90s when Chrome started, you know, when they released that technology. So there was just a void in people uh acknowledging what could change because they were and these are were very diehard baseball collectors who had done it this way for 10 years yeah does that make sense totally i mean in thinking back i mean these are scattered memories for me because i was mostly involved with hockey but in baseball and basketball refractors were all the rage in the 90s that that was the insert you were chasing and and and, and obviously there's a nostalgic factor and then there's also there's also logic in terms of Mm -hmm price points and what the product that it comes out of you went that level deeper yeah. and started and because of that void with the trout you started looking at bowman chrome i'm sure that's what set it off right when you started it, discussing tatis and acuna bowman yep. chrome so so i so the chrome to me was like a no-brainer i could i could not tell you how many people disagreed with me told me i was crazy this I would never happen you know this would never happen um but i went with my gut i did my thing uh you know, the market did its thing, but then I, and like everybody else, if they would have said uh, Bowman Chrome rookie cards are a good, inv- I would have like laughed at them. Right. All the way up until probably October of this year or November, I would have like literally laughed and said, no, they're not a thing. They're, they've never been a thing yeah. but what what kind of piqued my interest is i i was looking at tatis cards and i noticed that his bowman chrome was selling for at one point like 250 260 in season when he was at his peak this was last year yeah which was very comparable 
to his Topps Chrome rookie card. So I was just like, why is this just people buying that don't know what they're doing? So I did what I always do. I went to Mike Trout to see uh, what his Bowman Chrome rookie card was doing. And up until that point, I only thought he had one because his uh, Bowman Chrome 175 is such a rare card. I had never seen it before. That's of him standing vertical with the red, you know, the red top, white bottom. Yeah. You know, the bump. I had never seen it before. The Bowman draft was the only uh, Bowman Chrome rookie card I had ever seen of Trout. And that card was doing what it had always done. It was like number three in yeah. his, but it hadn't moved much. But then when I looked at, I saw the Bowman Chrome rookie card and I was like, what the hell is that? And so then, you know, that's where I did my digging and that was his first release of Bowman Chrome. It, you know, that was his first rookie card from that set. Bowman's weird because they can put, you'll see it with many dudes. They'll put two rookie cards, one in Bowman Chrome, one in Bowman Draft. Yeah. The one you want is the first, uh, which is Bowman Chrome, but his prices, when I looked at that card, it was like almost 3,500 repeatedly that card which was identical with his us 175 sales so to me i was going okay so this card caught that one we can buy these now for half the price of what the paper is does that make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so i was just going and the thing about it is paper cards are not the same as the us 175 you know what I mean? That card's got a max uh, supply of, I think, a little over 5,000. And that card's been in circulation since 2011. Yeah. We got an Acuna bat in, in Cartel. I know you love the Acuna bat up. It's okay. Yeah, yeah I that, do. You, but you know what I mean? That's 16,500. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're not, you can't even say they're the same, car. in my opinion. No. I don't think you can value them equally. Yeah. And I was looking at the, the Acuna Bowman Chrome, which is a, I think it's a 50% gem rate. It's less than still a thousand. And that was selling for 50 bucks. Yeah. I yeah. saw that and I saw the bat up at 170 and I was going, huh. Yeah. You were feel, go ahead. You were, you were actively combining uh, what a lot of us do in like in individual parts, you were combining yep. uh, population reports you were combining source of the cards. You were even, you were one of the first people to start talking about images on the cards. Image, which even a lot yep. of people subconsciously for sure think about it, but they're not putting it at the front of their mind, right? And then, yeah, you're, and then you're coming up with these, with these, I don't even want to call them plays at, with the analysis that you did. Yeah. Right? And then Funny. one other factor, looking at the um, context of the, how you acquire the card. I think that's something that we often leave out, you know. Big time, big time. A Bowman Chrome hobby box costs probably at release in 2018 was over a hundred bucks, you know, and that, that is jumped. I forget. I don't even know what they are now, but the Bowman's best is like 700 bucks. Yeah. So I would yeah, imagine you, you, you could be getting boxes of uh, 2018 update hobby. Uh, I was, my first price point was 60 Canadian for a hobby. box. Right. But the difference is you can walk into retail and grab a value pack for, for $4 and right. pull all three rookie cards. Yeah, you know, so that's another factor, and it also is going to cap the supply because people can't get them at Walmart, Target, etc. They have to spend the big money to get the one box, and then with Bowman Chrome, you could open two boxes and maybe hit one Acuna. 
So, so the supply is just so down. It costs so much to acquire the card. It's a tough, to me, it just added all up right. that this card should at least be equal to the, uh, the bat up rookie card. And in my, I still think it's got room to continually uh, surpass that card, but that, that you're right. Looking at all of those factors that leads into why you can predict what might happen next. It's funny. So was that, was that the basis of the off-season plays for you? Was all that analysis? All of that tied into guys that, like you guys said, so that's where that, that led to was looking at Bowman Chrome, which then led me to look at Bowman's best. Right. Within, and, and to me, it was really obviously not the base card. The base card, I'm sure, will be solid. But it was those, those shorter printed cards, the Atomics, the Refractors, Autos, and then I started to look at 90s cards, and people don't realize Bowman is big in 90s football, basketball, baseball. Like, yes. like, like huge. I mean, one of the best Tom Brady rookie cards is a Bowman Chrome rookie card, you know? And, and that, that applies to uh, Peyton Manning, uh, Ichiro Suzuki, uh, Griffey, Jeter. I mean, the list uh, – Michael Jordan's 1996 Bowman's Best Atomic is a yeah. massive card. And that's like, what, 10 years after his rookie card almost? Yeah. Right. yeah. Like Kobe Bryant's Bowman's Best stuff is insane. So to me, it, it, it was just people not looking at the full scope of things, but just look, because, I mean, if you go look at uh, Mike Trout's Bowman's Best card, it leaves a lot to be desired. That is probably yeah. one of his worst uh, – <laughs> worst design cards so i think right. bowman's best was just totally slept on as a fun rip but it'll never have value and that has changed um yeah. exponentially especially with the atomic and why wouldn't it you know why yeah. wouldn't it yeah it's uh I, so i've got a question for you as well but before i i ask you that question i'm gonna kind of touch upon the like the image variation so I got into the hobby, you know, just about a year ago. Um, before that, I was collecting everything under the sun, but uh, not for profit, just because I, I love collecting cards. Like I got magic cards. I've got like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Magic. Like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I got tons. They're still here. But uh, I play magic a little, not going to lie. I play, I play here and there. But yep. uh, so I got into the hobby and I started watching baseball. I mean, I've been watching baseball, but I was like, I want Tatis. I think this guy's electric. You think he's going to change the game? Just like yep. a different charisma than any baseball player that I've, I've seen, seen play, period. And um, so I look at his Topps Chrome update and it's the throwing one and it's a landscape photo. And I, it, to be honest, I just wasn't in love with it. And, you know, I had opportunity of grabbing a bunch of these cards at, and I mean, I'm kicking myself in, in the ass for them now, but you know, they were probably like 50, 60 bucks. And I went straight for the debuts and like not knowing anything about, you know, the tiered system and, but just <laughs> going strictly off of image variation. I'm like, why are people not obsessed with this card? Because it's so much nicer in my opinion than the tops Chrome. Now, I mean, now that I understand that, that the debuts come out, you know, significantly mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, my question is, do you think at some point debuts <laughs> will be a play um, versus the standard, you know, whatever the, the, the card is for that, that player? Yeah. 
I do as long as there's a, a gap for it, if that makes sense. As long as there's, because that's what I really look for is if there's a gap for growth, and it could only be for like two weeks or two months, and then that yeah. growth could be maximized, and there may not be a gain very much after. Yeah. If you can identify, so like what you're saying with the the Tatis rookie update, and his is special in a way because most debut cards are horizontal. Yeah. Or they can be, and the base cards are vertical. Yeah. Right. You know, which makes them even less desirable. Yeah. From a collecting standpoint, because it has the rookie debut. It's horror, you know, and you're right. Tatis is just a kind of an anomaly because he's a flip on that. Yeah. So I definitely, and you know, a card you might want to look at for that is a pink. Yeah. A pink update rookie debut. You know, that to me could be really lucrative. Now, I don't know how much more room that card has to grow. Yeah. But I think PSA pop reports will be a big factor potentially moving forward. Yeah. So long as that card is uh, much less than the the horizontal rookie cards, but I, I do think there's always potential. And you know, another fascinating card is the uh, these insert mojo cards. These 85, yeah. 87, for very similar reasons. They're vertical. Yeah. They're mojo. They're chrome. Yeah. They're yeah. refractors. They're short printed. I mean, all I feel like anytime you can get a short print refractor. I don't care what it is. Yeah. I don't care if it's an insert. I don't care if it's a short print refractor and you can get it for 50, 60 bucks Buy yeah. this, buy it. Yeah. Yeah. We're touching yeah. on two of the most interesting uh, kind of subsets. Like I'm looking at a sale completed today of the Tatis uh, rookie debut in a PSA yep. 10 at the unthinkable price. And it was on bids, by the way, not, a, not a buy now of 177 us dollars. That was unthinkable this yeah. time last year. That, totally. By the way, that was probably the price. The well, maybe maybe a little less, but the, the, the regular rookie like trading app. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a demand there um, yeah. for sure that I've never seen before. I, actually, Brian, I don't mean to yeah. cut you off, but that card's actually dipped because it was sitting pretty at two fifty for really for a month. That rookie really? debut card. Yeah. If you go look at um, and and that's Tatis, man. Uh, he has seen he's been a little volatile over the last couple of weeks um but that card was sitting pretty at like 240 250 Damn. for i'm talking the month of probably most of february and march yeah it, it got there so i don't mean to cut you off but that's okay and and again similarly the the silver pack uh, cards yeah. um i love subbing those cards because they look great and they yep. usually come back pretty nicely mm -hmm. um I got out way too early. I was, I was talking to you specifically yeah. about the Tatis that yeah, I felt like, what the, <laughs> yeah, it doubled. I saw, I literally watched it double before my eyes after I'd let go of it. Now you, you made the good point. It's limited. Uh, it's they're, they're, they're refractors and yep. people, certainly people love refractors in my mind, again, with the limited amount of exposure to the modern baseball market, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, this is just a fancy version of yeah. an existing insert card. It's, it's got the vintage design. It's not the, design of the base set no. so i kind of dismissed it but but yeah. that is something that's something someone could have really made a huge hit yeah. on over the course i think it's starting to come down but mm -hmm. you know and that's a whole other conversation is timing right because yeah. and, and you talk about that you, you know if, if you want to talk about it right now there's look there's going to be an entry point and there's got to be an exit point on some of these things unless they are 
the iconic cards. See, in that way, that's why I still like the update. That yeah. up, if Cunha is going to be the player that we think he is, that is going to be a go-to card. In the mm-hmm. world of hockey, that's the Connor McDavid Young Gun rookie. Um, yep. There's tons of them, but I keep saying there's plenty of room, pl- plenty of closets, plenty of desks, pr- plenty of shelves for these mm-hmm. cards. But some of these specific, you know, like, like the Bowman Chrome, we've already mm-hmm. seen it's peaked and come down a bit. So yep. there's exit points, right? And how do you, yeah. how do you plan the exit point? So like I said, for me, I'm greedy. <laughs> I like to maximize Why my not? returns. And I'm also patient. I feel like that's one of the, I mean, I'm patient. I can be impatient. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I feel like patience is such a virtue. To, I look at a card and I try to assess what I think it's going to, should be. Yeah, that's what I, I think I do that as well. Like even before buying it, I'm like, okay, yep. like why, what should this car be? Yeah. And that's my value. Like until it, it leaves my, my, my yeah. case, like it's not leaving my case until that's the value of this card. Yeah. And, and, that, and that, that's how I kind of value my entry exit points sometimes. Like to me, the Bowman Chrome Tatis card, it might be, and I don't, pre, you know, I don't predict the volatility of it. So it has dipped quite a bit from three feet. I mean, it got up to 400, dude. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Yeah. But like the entry, I believe, I believe the entry point was around, at least for me, was around hundred USD, yeah. USD. Dude, you could have bought them on bids for 75, 80 bucks to a hundred dollars. And I mean, it, they got strong at 400. Uh, I am very pissed off at PWCC because they watered down literally two markets in a matter of one day, they put 12 Bowman Chrome Tatis rookie cards on auction all at the same time. Yeah. So the, all 12 of those cards sold for about 240. you know, which, which really yeah. waters down the market. I mean, if you look at, if you think about that's 12 of 900, so that's like almost 10%, right? Yeah, what percentage? It's almost 10% of the whole supply of the cards sold in one day at one time. Um, But that's how I really, so like for me, I have two, Uh, I have two Bowman Chrome Tatis rookie cards and I'm not in a hurry to sell them Yeah, because I value those cards at least equal to, if not more than the tops Chrome horizontal. And I think it's someday, I don't know when, you know, but someday they will. That's how I feel about the, the Acuna Bowman. That's pretty much how I feel about Bowman Chrome rookie cards for 2018 and later players because the gaps of supply and demand are just so so exponential between the two sets now brian you you might have accidentally opened up a can of worms here i don't know where this is going to go but you mentioned pwcc yeah i might i I am not i know i'm not the only person because i'm seeing this (laughs) now all over instagram you will see a card sold by cartel seller yeah (laughs) you're ready get ready co you'll see a card sold by legitimate seller with a good, with a great feedback rating. So you know that there's nothing strange going mm-hmm. on about that sale. And it will sell for, let's say $250 at the same time that there's a PWCC auction running with two days left and it's at $300. Yep. There's got to be something going on there. I'm not stupid. You're not stupid. Co's no. not stupid. So I'm seeing pumping going on. Now, do you take that into consideration during your analysis? I'm sure you do, but talk yep. to me a little bit about that. And I'm sure you've noticed that. Oh yeah, I definitely you can't you can't base a card. I I tend to be a little hesitant on like all time highs. I might have I actually might have t- taken the bait on um the Bowman Chrome Refractor Mike Trout. Okay, that thing sold for like twenty four thousand at one point in right. early you know, and I was like, holy shit, this card is 
huge sale. I didn't, it didn't look like it was a, you know, manipulated, but it definitely was. Right. Uh, and we have no way of knowing now. We have no way of checking right. up on that as far as bidding goes. No, there was a one that went a little after at 17 and now that card's at 12,000, 11,000. So they're, and it's like that same US 175 went up to seven grand real quick. Yep. Yeah, Remember, we saw that earlier yeah, in the offseason. It had this yeah. like gradual decline back yeah. to like four. It, it was just one spike. Oh yeah, it's 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 like it's about to forty five, almost five. But it, it yeah. I mean, it had this huge spike. Yeah. You remember Instagram? Two days, people are just one second. Yep. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. Yep. And it, the people that bought, you're going. Um, you didn't really evaluate this very well because it was just one sale right. that went for three thousand more than. And that's the power. That's the power of one sale, and that's yep. the power of an auction house that has the. Yep the the stroke that PWCC has so so how what what's so how big of a factor is market huge. manipulation huge I was yeah. just gonna say that it's it, it's I think it's more than any of us even um I, I mean I think there's some people that that see it for what it is and are super leery but I think it's more than what we even know um, because the power of the influencer plus the manipulation on the bidding that's massive. And in a world full of uh, people buying stuff that aren't super informed on what they're buying. Yeah. Right. It's like the perfect storm for, I mean, it is what it's fraud, you know? And I like, and again, that's why your account is a refuge for so many of the people that have entered the hobby in the past year. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. And they are right for helping our hobby in terms of their presence, but they're also right for getting taken advantage of. Right. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, and it, and it's, you know, it, it is something I'm, I'm afraid of as far as what it could do to the market a year from now. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely going to be some negative fallouts with it. I will say I've never used them. I have talked to people that are super, um, that have been doing this for a long time that do use auction houses. And this is some of the rationale for why they sell more when they sell cards through those platforms, instead of paying the, the fees, they, they leave the money credit. there. Yes. Yep, they get yeah. their credits. And yeah. what they do is they have no problem spending their consignment credit yeah. right. for more than what a card is typically going for because they're, they view it as I sold this, these 15 cards for this amount of money. Yeah. It's not my cash. It's my card money. You know, it's, it's pretty, um, it's almost like two different minds. Yeah. I don't operate that way because to me, I, it's all my money. Yeah. I don't have that consignment. Yeah. Me as well. You know? Does that yeah. make sense? So yeah. I think there oh. is, there is some reason why they go higher, but it is definitely evident that there is a ton of uh, manipul manipulate. I mean, it's so easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we, especially when they put private, you know, yeah. when you go and look at the bidders yeah. and it's all private. Pri private bidder, I'm like, yeah, you, you can't have that. That's what I wish eBay would fix is allow us to see, like, let me click on the buyer. Let me go look at their inventory. Let me go look what they've listed and sold. Yeah. Is this a guy that bought 15 Bowman Chrome Tatis at a hundred? And then why is he buying one at 450? Yeah. Does that make right. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So sure. I just, I think there's ways it could get better. You know, I, I think our job as, as people that are uh, that have been involved in the card hobby for so long and, and, and tend to notice these things is just to let people know. And, yeah. and I think that's powerful enough to let 
let people know and, and be wary of that sort of thing. I don't want to sit here and badmouth a company yeah, or an auction house yeah. all yeah. the time, but it has to be known that there's a yeah. reason why. I, I do like the fact that you brought up people are basically using their auction bucks and that yeah. maybe has an influence on it as well. Um, I'm sure we could talk with you like for an entire week, Brian, but I, I really importantly, I think Co and I, because we discussed it before you popped on, we want to get your opinion. Obviously you grade cards, you deal yeah. in slabs, we want to know your opinion on this PSA situation. Obviously, we talked about uh, overall, uh, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What's going to happen to slabs? What's going to happen to raw cards? As I'm yep. sure you've been talking with many people about this. And obviously, I, and I also want you to have an opportunity uh, to uh, plug anything you need to plug, because I know you offer some services that help yeah, people. Yeah. And there's a reason why we have you on here. We're not going to have just anyone with the service on here. I see some ridiculous stuff. My favorite joke is, People are charging people so that they can tell them that the sun came up today. You yep. have uh, a really good service. Uh, so I want you to pump that as well. But let us know, what, what, how do you feel about this PSA situation? Man? Dude, I, I just, I'm grabbing cards here because this is royally, I'm, I don't know what, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what to do. Like right. here, like <laughs> these are cards I've got. This is an Atomic. Woo! Look at that. This is a gold Bowman's Best Wander Franco 2019 Gorgeous. auto. I mean, these are um, a Bobby Witt Bowman Chrome base auto. Yeah. I don't want to send it. I, I don't know what to do. You know, I, with PSA closing, that's who I was going to send a lot of, a lot of these also won't 10. Yeah. You know, so I didn't know if I, I didn't think I was going to send them to PSA, but BGS is so bad. Beckett's so backed up. Yeah. They're so expensive. PSA is closed. I did do some dabbling with SGC and I really, I think they're a great grading company. They're yeah. not going to throw a 10 on something that's garbage. No, no that I is agree. an old, that is an old company yeah. with a reputation. They've been around way longer than people think, man. Yeah. When they had a zero to hundred skill. Yeah. We, my brother and I sent them 200 cards to grade and I can't tell you how many nine fives we got back and how very few. And I mean, we sent a ton of really high, you know, yeah. like Eloy Jimenez, 19 Chrome rookie cards. Those are very high PSA 10 grade right. rates, 70, 80%. Um, as I can tell you, they grade incredibly strong. Yeah. They're, they're a nine, five is a good card. A 10 is right. a great card. Right. Um, the fact that people trash them, my hesitation in using them is because the market hasn't adjusted to it. Yes. Yeah. You know, so I don't want to put a really high value card in a slab that yeah. isn't worth it, you know? Yeah. So, and now they jump their prices to 75 bucks. It's funny. It's, SGC was going to be my play too. Yeah. But, like for, but like for that very reason, I was like, my only issue is the fact that people don't love it yet. But my, my play is like, is going into the Euro cup. It's going to be huge for me. A bunch of my stuff I wanted to grade. And yep. like soccer really doesn't have like a, a prominent market anywhere right now. Right. It's kind of like yeah. all over the place. Like, yes, like vintage soccer is, is popping and even like modern to a certain extent in PSA, but like, let's say everybody needs to grade their stuff. Where are they going to go? I thought SGC was the play. I even yep. loaded up a bunch of cards into the, the queue and the next day it went up to 75 bucks. And I'm like, I can't justify that. And see, I, I agree. I thought SGC had an opportunity to really take a firm uh, foot in the mark in the card market, graded card market. And I, I don't want to say they blew it because I mean, why shouldn't they raise their prices? Yeah. You know, they're, 
they're a reputable company. They grade well. Um, they're still much cheaper than, than PSA on yeah. pretty much any reasonable service that they offer. But now you're losing money on grading cards. Yes, because people, people just won't spend the money on an SGC. And that's what it comes down to, right? Like, and, that's, and that's part of the process, uh, problem Cartel was talking about earlier with the influencers and stuff. You know, you've got this like obsession with PSA 10 cards yeah. Yeah. That, that I can't. I can't, I can't wrap my head around the, the, like the it's, obsession it's, with a PSA 10. Yeah. It's that card is like 15 X. Yeah. But again, when I like a PSA nine is like garbage. And I, it, yeah. it, this is, this was my problem when I came into the hobby too. Cause like, I never seen graded cards before. Like I would buy hockey cards when I was a kid and like, I yeah. would, I never graded cards because that was outside of my realm. But like when I saw even eight and a half, I was buying eight and a half. Cause I'm like, dude, this is like, this is a sick card. Like this is eight is me. This means that like, it is forever going to be an eight and a half. But even, like, even the disparity between PSA and BGS. Yeah. And again, that getting back to that kind of magic moment in late 2019, kind yeah. of, you know, right before the lockdown and stuff is when we saw this obsession with PSA grading. And I, and I have to think again, it has to do with influencers and, and a, a kind of a group think because Beckett was doing just fine for a while there. And coming from the hockey market, by the way, we almost preferred Beckett back five years ago. They, they, they'd show up at a lot of the big hockey shows. And so yeah. a lot of people would use them and they liked their grading and they liked the slabs. Dude, um, with baseball first Bowman Beckett was any first Bowman auto. I want to say 90% of it was Beckett. Uh, yeah. Because, the, because the, the auto grade, grade right? Yeah, because, that's, because the that's. auto was graded and, as well. And it's not all or nothing. Yeah. Um, a nine five Beckett is so much better than a PSA nine. People weren't willing to take these really high value cards yeah. and, and, and play that all or nothing game. Yeah. And like you guys said, they grade the auto. Yeah. So I'm just, I don't know what to do with my, with grading. Right. I'm waiting. Like that's, I have cards. I have a bunch of subs out. Um, you know, I, I probably have 300 cards coming in the next who knows when, but yeah. they're coming. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to wait and my cards aren't, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, but I mean, I know it sucks because there's opportunities to be had. Right. If, if someone was sitting on a stack of Austin Meadows, you know, right now, his play would be, there you go. Or someone like uh, Bobby Witt. Like if, that guy exploded. If I had this graded, I would have sold it. Yeah. When he had that huge spike, because everybody was talking about his 480 foot Homer. And I may never see that price again. Ever. For that card. Or like yeah. the Wander Franco. I want to, I wanted to sell this when he debuted, Yeah. you know, sometime now, I, I, I don't want to sell it raw. Yeah. If that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like, no, so, I get it. Crazy. You know, it's, it, it really has made a huge impact on the way I do, you know, I've been buying a lot more graded cards. Oh, I'm the same way. And especially because, like, even, like, with the, the influx of people on eBay now. Yep. And, and the affinity for Chrome. Like, Chrome is, is so delicate that there are so many times where I'm like, okay, like, everything looks clean. You know what I mean? You get it in and there's just like one scuff that you're like, man, this is not gemming. And I just, I'm, I'm tired of buying like raw Chrome to be yeah. honest. 
Well, and if you're buying now and you're looking 2018, 19, you're pretty much picking the rejects yeah. at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't see too many tens sitting around that people are, but like this card right here, that's a Jordan insert refractor PSA 10 that I bought for 75. That if PSA keeps their price up, that's a hard grade. I think it's like 50%. Yep. I bought it for less than what it will cost. Like say they keep it at 200 bucks. I was, you I know, was thinking that, that they're not coming back down either to yeah. be honest, but in, in, in that, let, so let's say on average people are spending 125 to grade a 10. We're buying tens for less than what the cost is to grade them. Yeah. Right. So at some point, I don't know when, but these cards will, will that will materialize into these cards hitting that gap. So you could be looking at 40, $50 profit the moment you buy the card, if you're buying it, you know, cheap enough. Yeah. So right. that's probably what I, to answer the question in a long way, I'm probably right now looking to buy more graded cards at prices where I think, you know, they're super undervalued and there's plenty of room for them to, to catch the grading cost yeah. as well. And I, I'd be remiss to not let our viewers know, especially the ones that collect hockey, that's a great play in hockey right now. Because again, not only are you dealing with the issues everyone else is, is dealing with, you're, you're, in a, you're in an international market in Canada. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of my earliest big plays back in 2018, 2019 was slowly here and there picking up PSA gems of hockey players because so much of the focus was on Beckett. So when yeah. people, when the overall PSA market exploded, and this is something you might not be aware of, Brian, but some of the top, some of the top rookies in the last five years in hockey, their PSA tens are, are literally two, three X, the, the BGS version, and they've really blown up. And, and uh, so buying them less I, I was buying them at, at the same or less of yes. the Beckett. At so the you had that, that, that was a really good foresight into, yeah. you know, it's, it was like the Tatis refractor thing I was talking about where I was buying those as opposed to, to right. pay. And, that, and that's just what it takes to, you know, I think it was really easy to make a lot of money a year, two years ago yeah. in sports cards, buy up yep. a whole bunch of base cards right off the bat, $4 a piece, grade them for 15. Boom. You know, right. it, you're, you're, sell, you're, sell them when they're hot for a hundred yeah. minimum, you know, like just in grading alone yeah. and buying raw, you're making a shit ton of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, that has changed exponentially in the last couple months and it is going to be a lot harder uh, to, in my, you know, to, and prices have gone insane. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's just, yeah. but, but that's one of the reasons why I put out that list is because you can still buy Corey Seager right now than less than Acuna Tatis Soto. You can still buy him for less. And those cards from 2016, whew, uh, way better. You got I mean, me You got me way too excited when I saw your list because I got a Prism PSA 10 that I paid like 200 bucks for, bro. Yeah, that, that's, that could be a dude. That, that literally could yeah. be a $1,500 card yep. in a matter of two, three. It could, you yeah, know, with know. where everybody else's cards are. A base Seeger 16 Chrome. If a Tatis is four four thirty, that card. If Seeger plays the way he does, that card should be seven hundred bucks. Yep. So he, has a, he has a World Series MVP and a chip. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, 
a lot of big opportunities still out there, which I think is the the big yep. point here. And maybe that segues nicely, uh, uh, Brian. Uh, let us know uh, about any uh, any of the services that you are offering, or if you still are, or if it's on a limited basis, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, you guys are awesome. No, that's cool. You guys to allow me. I don't want to, I was doing a subscription service where people were uh, jump, you know, I was doing 10 bucks and I'm giving them like four or five picks for the month. Yep. Um, I have that pretty, I don't want to be greedy with it. Uh, I have like 36, 37 people. And to me, that's, that's plenty. You Let's know? say someone wanted some advice from yeah. you and, and, you know, is, is this still an option? Uh, it is very, no, not really. Okay. I'll be honest with you. Okay. I mean, for some people, yes. If I know you really well, I'm not trying to, for the, also for the people that have joined. Yeah. I don't want them to have to, because I mean, you realize what kind of power a group of Facebook yeah. group, yeah. you know, a group of people could have in a market. Yeah. yeah. If I got 37 people and I say, let's go buy Corey Seager tops Chrome rookie cards. Yeah. And we uh, all go buy one. one the guy buying at the end is buying them for who knows $400 and the guy buying it first bought it for 220. Yeah. You know, I don't, I just don't want there to be this um, unethical part of it. And also the part where the guys that paid and got in early, I don't want them to have to compete with 70, 80 people, yeah, you know? Right. So, yeah. but as far as advice, I'm always an open book too. You well, know, the, the, content, the, the actual content on your page is there. Yeah. You, yep. you, you post great stuff today. Uh, I encourage everyone to take a look today at that post regarding, uh, you know, the top 10. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. What is it? It's the top 10. I know. I don't. It's like the opportunities. Top underrated players and underrated. It's like a combination of skill and market, I guess. Right. There you go. But I will say one last thing that's interesting is when Go I post an update on Bowman's best or Bowman Chrome still, it's so it's still very uh, not recognized. A lot yeah. of people don't want to look at it. They don't care. Yeah. Um, they Scott, you know, what for whatever reason, and they, you know, who knows? They could be wrong. I don't think they, I mean, they could be right. I don't think they are, but it's just funny when I post, like I can post a, an update on the, you know, let's just say the 2018 Chrome Acuna swinging card, and that'll get like, you know, a ton of eyes on it, ton of stuff. And then I'll post something on an atomic Juan Soto and it's like, <laughs> like crickets, but yeah. that's a good sign from yeah. what from my experiences. And that is a good sign for the longevity of, of that card and where it's going to end up. Yeah. So, and I like that you engage people too. Uh, if yeah. someone is, is, if someone is on the other side of one of your uh, polls in the story, you will engage them. Like yeah. Brian sends me a message real quick. Yeah, like, I'm telling I'm, you, man, he I'm right not away. on board and we're going to talk about it. So, yeah. Right away. man. I was like, no, oh, that's yeah. I value what people think. And, and some people I value what they think a lot more than others. You know, some people will be like, I don't really care what that what their response was pretty, you know, yeah. but I want to know why people think what they think because it helps us about understand what's going on. Yeah. Absolutely. So and it's, right. I try to I try to have it like uh I don't want to try to be a person that's talking at you. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be a person that can have a conversation and dialogue and I like to I do talk a lot. We all do. <laughs> but I do like, but I do like to listen as well. So, awesome. Ryan, 
I think, uh, I mean, if you've been tuning in from the beginning, there are so, so many reasons why you need to not only follow him, but like reach out to him, ask him questions, you know, do your own research and come to him and be like, I see this and you guys can have a back and forth discussion. And uh, really, really, really thankful that someone like you exists in the hobby. And thank you so much for tuning in and coming, coming to talk to us today, brother. Thanks so much for coming. Same to you guys, man. Anytime. Always a pleasure. This was sweet. Very cool. Yeah, brother. Beautiful. You guys keep it real north of north of the border. All right? Yeah, keep I know. Out. We try. We try. Yeah, dudes. You guys take it easy, man. Take yeah, care, brother. One, yeah, later, dudes. See ya. Team, that was, uh, that was fantastic. That was one of the best genuine conversations that we've had in a while. That, that's not only a, a, a hobby, you know, it, it, it gets a little, you know, it gets a little into analysis, which some yeah. people really enjoy. Some people kind of are not, yeah. it's not their favorite thing, but at the end of the day, it's, it's passionate people. And Brian is passionate uh, talking about baseball cards, just on that little bit of a higher level. We all get older. We all get a little bit more uh, cerebral about what we're doing as a, a hobby little, or as a business. A little more wheeze. And, uh, and that's, that's how it goes, right? Team, we uh, we didn't forget about you last week, and we definitely didn't do or didn't forget about you this week either, with respect to the fitness portion of the cardboard coaches. Which, by the way, we will be debuting our new thumbnail if you haven't already seen it. Um, but I, I digress. Today's segment, we are talking about core muscles. So, I mean, most people want that nice washboard stomach, you know, those washboard abs, flat tummy, whether you're male, female, you know, you want to make sure there's not bumps and logs. And today we're going to be talking about why it's not always beneficial to do direct core work. Absolutely. You're, you're getting into the realm of obviously as personal trainers, we cannot count. We can't even start to count the number of times people tell us they like a six pack and we cannot tell you how many times the same messages are transferred. Some of that, whether or not they're correct or not, but abs are made in the kitchen. Uh, you know, the, these general thoughts, we know as trainers and people have been at this for a while that it's a little bit more complicated. Now we're talking about the obliques, the transverse abdominus, the abdominal muscles, the lower back, which is an often overlooked portion of the uh, core, which obviously gives a lot of people problems later in life, uh, pain, sometimes not late in life. But the reality is, I I'll, I'll come at it from this point first, Brendan, before you get into yeah. it. Um, crunches are great, and a lot of people like to do them. So I'm never going to tell someone not to do something they like to do. You like to run, go for a run. You like to do crunches, go do the crunches. I, I just like to look at things logically and, and get into people's brains and try to help them look at it in that perspective as well. So are you working your core when you're doing compound movement? Yes. Absolutely you are. You wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to do a deadlift or a squat if your core wasn't activated and you collapsed. So I always refer back to the studies on this sort of thing. There's one in particular, I think I've told you about this, Brendan. There was a, a very large study on the core conducted at a university where they used high-level athletes, attached all sorts of electrodes to them to see what was going on with their core, how it was reacting, how hard it was working. And the top 10 movement patterns only contained about two that are traditionally known as a core exercise, which would be uh, leg raises from a hanging position and rollouts, which by the way, rollouts, I'm talking about that thing that you sometimes see for sale at midnight that you can have shipped to your home, the little ab wheel 
for like four dollars right which 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 as many people are getting something out of it a lot of people are hurting their back using yeah. that sort of thing so those are legitimized in these studies you'll notice there's no crunches in these studies you'll they they perform them they had these athletes perform every exercise imaginable those weren't the top 10 when it came to lighting up the core uh brenda do you remember what, what the number one exercise was squats no that's in the top three deadlift that's in the top three clean and press pull-ups uh, literally the act of doing a, a proper pull-up not necessarily a crossfit spasm yeah, yeah. pull out pull up a a rigid up and down pull up with the proper traction of the shoulders the proper movement pattern you're not going to be able to achieve that without your core getting involved now obviously that's a higher level exercise but anyone can squat and anyone can deadlift and those light up the core like no other that is my preferred core exercise and even at a time in lockdown where i'm starting to create layers on top of my abdominals those abdominals are still strong. I know this because I, I, I had an MRI recently and, and I got to see them. Uh, right. And the doctors were like, wow, you don't really often see abdominals. But that is from heavy deadlifting. That's how I prefer to work out. It's what I'm addicted to. Uh, and that's why we get people doing these compound movements to light up the core. Um, I'm not a proponent of the abs. Of course, abs are made in the kitchen. Of course they are. Of course, weight loss is made in the kitchen. But I'm not a proponent of this 80-20 idea. And just to give you a little bit, uh, you know, I want, I want Brendan to chime in here. Uh, telling people it's 80, 20 or 90, 10 is taking far too much away from the fact that you have to move and you have to do strength training. Anyways, take it from there. So the way I look at it is, I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for about an hour and a half. Okay. And I have yeah. been pretty much in this position the right. entire time. Okay. Right. From this position. That. My hips are shortened, okay? The distance between my head and my knees is also shortened. As a result, I'm kind of in a crunched position right now. And although my abs aren't necessarily activated, they are tensed up during this process. So yes. if I was going to get a six-pack, I probably would have gotten it from sitting. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting anyone who, who goes and does crunches. However... It's entirely possible that because my hip flexors are tight and when I do a crunch, what's going to take over that movement isn't necessarily going to be the abs. It's actually going to be these tight muscle groups. And that's why it's very important to not only mobilize. So I need to get out of this position. You know, if I'm going to do crunches, I need to make sure that I'm opening up the hips so that the appropriate muscles can fire. I give them an opportunity to fire, right. but also realistically, if I'm going to do any ab exercise, it's not going to be the same exercise or rather the same position I'm in on a regular basis. And what I mean by this is doing things outside of your comfort zone. So if you're doing a plank, for instance, First of all, you have to remain 180 degrees. So you're straight across. So that's a plus because that's outside of what you're typically in. But throwing in something like opening up towards the ceiling is going to force your body to adjust in a way that it has yet to, to adjust to. And my final point for all this is if you haven't gotten them yet doing that exercise, chances are you're not going to get them by continuing to do these exercises. So if, it, if an exercise feels challenging for you, let's say you're normally, you normally do sit-ups and you know, you're doing, like I said, maybe a, a plank with a, a reach through, for instance, if that exercise feels challenging for you, 
it's because that challenge is, is forcing you to grow. Think about any instance where you, you, you've been forced to, or you've been challenged. Chances are you've grown as a result of that. And if you right. can take that same philosophy and apply it to exercise, you'll right. start seeing changes you've never seen because you're doing things you've never done. Yeah, so there's, there's core strength, musculature, and visibility. And I always remind people the, the pound for pound strongest cores on the face of the planet belong to sumo wrestlers. You can Google it later. But the point being that there's something going on there that's creating strength and power in the core, which we all want, because that makes us perform better and feel better and protects our backs. I always throw that in for guys that are starting to come up in age. The musculature, the musculature is built through these exercises that Brendan uh, was talking about and the compound movements that I touched on. The visibility absolutely has everything to do with how you're taking care of yourself, yep. your stress level, sleeping, and what you're eating. Obviously, I think we know when we're eating for, the, for, for a six-pack and when we're not. Let's be honest. We're all adults. We know how that comes into play. So we can sit here and tell you how to eat all day long. It's really boring material, in my opinion. But I think what's more important is remembering, build up the musculature, build up the strength. And there's nothing to lose when you're doing the compound movements. You might be thinking, why am I doing this when I want to focus on my core? There's going to be huge payoffs by doing that stuff and building the musculature and the strength. I love it, man. Team, I hope you found today's episode particularly informing. I know I did. Wow, man, that's a lot to digest. I'm going to run right over to eBay after this. I hope you guys enjoyed it. some slabs. I know you, I know we did. And uh, I want you guys to have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, keep on keeping on team. You guys are doing fantastic. And if you guys ever, ever have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to any of us, myself, cartel, Rocky mountain baseball cards. Don't you forget it. Have a great day team. See y'all.